Welcome to After Hours with Dr. Sigaloff, where he can share ideas and thoughts with you. He gets to the heart of the issue so that you can find the truth. The views and opinions expressed are his and do not represent the U.S. Army, DOD, nor the U.S. government. Dr. Sigaloff was either off-duty or on approved leave, and Dr. Sigaloff was not in uniform at the time of recording. Now, to Dr. Sigaloff. Well, thank you for joining me again. I want to thank all the Patreon supporters. I have a pandemic reprimand level tier where they donate $17.76 a month. And I want to thank Sam and Angela Schelke and Perry. There's been a $10 custom level that's been made by Kevin and by Katie. I want to thank you too. And we also have a $5 level where people are donating what they can, $5 a month. It's the Refine Not Burn. And Joe and PJ are helping with that. I would truly thank you all for all the help that you've been giving and everybody who's been giving to our Give, Send, Go. My wife and I truly appreciate that. It's We have spent over $60,000 in lawyer's fees, so we do appreciate every penny that, that comes in and all the prayers that come in. Today I have a special guest. His name is Sean Redvansky. He works for Cisco. He's a sales service sales specialist. And I wanted to bring him on to talk because he saw a particular need. He, he saw a niche, a group that wasn't being talked to, that didn't have any sort of you know, coaching or, or help or just community. And so he started a podcast and it was the Dad Conversation Podcast. And the whole idea of this, I love this idea, is that he wanted dads that are in business or in some sort of work encouraging other dads with how they work and how they balance that life, you know, life-work balance. And I was able to listen to a few of his podcasts, and they're, they're just really, really good. And I wanted to have you on. So, so Sean, how are things going for you? Oh, man, good to be here. And I just want to say... I love your podcast, Sam. I've had the pleasure of listening to probably at least 30 episodes and you've taught me a ton and done just done great work, like exposing facts and stories that you wouldn't get anywhere else. And your guests have been incredible, you know, tons of military service members, doctors, attorneys, veterans. I'm really honored to be here and invited on your show. Thank you so much. Well, I, I really love what you're doing because so. this is what it's about. It's when you see a need... And you do it, right? Like you, you see a problem and you're like, well, you know, I feel like men need more coaching because in society, the dad has been the butt of the joke. You know, the dad's a bumbling idiot. And I think that's one of the things you actually say in your intro is dad has always been made this bumbling idiot. And that's not how dads are supposed to be yeah. because we're, <laughs> we're part of the family that keeps the whole thing. To, I mean, and, and moms too, they keep the whole family together. Totally. Yeah. Better, better together. But yeah, that, that was the, the gist of why I started it really is like, I love listening to podcasts. I've learned so much from all kinds of people on various topics at a deeper level. And you can't really get that type of quality discussions on any subject without going to podcasts. And so I was also, while, while being an avid podcast listener for years, I feel like I've got a tremendous network of amazing people, many of whom are dads. I know there's awesome people out there, but in movies and TV, like you said, it's just, they're always the punchline, like some kind of Neanderthal loser and, or they're soft and whiny and, you know, effeminate or they're toxic or, you know, just some kind of somehow broken. And so I was like, there's rarely a courageous, hardworking, fatherly role model. 
out there in the media. So as much as I don't want to admit it, I think that the TV and movies and pop culture like influences society quite a bit and changes the way we think and act. And so I was like, I want to just spotlight like normal, successful, good, interesting people who also happen to be dads. And here, like, tell me, tell me about your career first off it's like like if you were having dinner with somebody at work you're like so you know you're talking career stuff and like so tell me a little about your life like where'd you grow up what'd you do what are your you know what are your hobbies and then you know at the end kind of tell me a little bit about your approach to being a dad like what what are some things you think you're doing well what what's some lessons you learned from your dad if applicable um and how are you you know what just trying to get a little bit of tips from from various dads out there. So it's been really cool and one of the one of the most fun projects I've ever done. Yeah, that, that's amazing. So let's let's get into it a bit. So let's pretend like I'm you and you're you're on your own show. So tell us a bit about yourself. Ooh, um, so I am a father of six. I have an amazing wife and we are living in the sort of exurbs of Raleigh, North Carolina. And I am a salesperson at Cisco Systems. Also love Brazilian jiu-jitsu. My my kids are into wrestling and dance and yeah, just full to be grateful to be alive in this country and at this time. And on a personal note, how did you get your kids at what age and how did you get them interested in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or BJJ? They started doing it when, when I started. Uh, and then when we had a wrestling program open up, like a, there's like a youth wrestling program. That's sort of a club near the, that's at the high school gym on uh, a couple nights a week. We wanted to get them involved. I, I wish I wrestled when I was a kid because all my friends who are wrestlers are just successful, like strong, hardworking people. And they always talk about how helpful it was. So I thought, man, I, I might have missed out, but I want to expose my kids to it. And they, you know, I prepped. I was like, hey, this is going to be tough. You know, everybody says it's hard, hard workouts and one on one battles. But anyway, they they've really taken to it and, and like it. So all three of my boys are are into wrestling. And what ages did you start them or were they when they started? They started jujitsu about four years ago. So they would be, they would have been like eight, six and four. And, uh, and then they started wrestling last year. So, yeah. Yeah. I think what's amazing about that is you see so many people who do, they're, they're such high function, high functioners and high producers and they, those types of men typically do some sort of physical sport, some sort of competitive sport like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I mean, if you look at Jocko Willink and a lot of the guests that he have on, he has on, they, they tend to do that. And it's, what are some of the principles that you're learning from that? Because it seems like that particular activity, you know, prepares your mind and your body, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Well, I'll give you one example. Yesterday I went in for an MRI and they're like, are you, are you claustrophobic or, you know, does it worry you or stress you out? And I'm like, well, <laughs> I'm used to having 250 pound man on, on top of me, smashing me, trying to choke me. So this will be great. I mean, this is, this is chill, but I would say lessons learned is just 
the importance of slowing down and breathing. Everyone, you know, you're, anyone who tries jujitsu, your first few months, the key is just like, hey, slow down and breathe. You know, when you get into a bad spot or you're trying to go get an advantage, it's like relax a little bit, keep breathing because you're going to, you know, if you burn yourself out in a in a sprint at the beginning of a marathon, you're you're not going to do well on the back half. That's a, I think that applies to almost anything. When I'm oftentimes my worst busiest days i'm you know you go into like a manic state of <laughs> crazy trying to get everything done and it's like you know what just need to stop and breathe do some you know mental and emotional exercises here reset and prioritize and uh, you can't sometimes you can't get everything done but just relaxing has been something i've learned from jiu-jitsu um also learned it's more fun to be the hammer than the nail. That's for sure. The more sure. it, you know, the more tools that you pick up in your toolbox and abilities you have, you can you can relax because you have more like more pieces of the puzzle to kind of put things together. But uh, it gets really fun. I mean, it's I don't know. It's yeah. Say so those are the highlights for me of it. And have you noticed a change in your boys in their in their bravery, their courage, their strength, their their ability to face? more difficult subjects than their peers, not just physically, but maybe even scholastic. Yeah, I think the just toughening up and being more resilient has been a, a big focus in our family over the last probably three years. And I think that jujitsu and wrestling have played key roles in that, you know, seeing that, Hey, this is going to be hard, you know, we're going to go and, try your absolute best and you still might lose, but you know, you're, you're tough. You're not a quitter. Let's go. Come on. You got this. Um, how bad do you want it? You know? And like, like we had a Saturday, we, we had a jujitsu tournament and I remember my son, he's like doing really well. He's in a, in a bottom position, he's mounted over him and he's working on escapes and avoiding submission. He's trying to hit a, his own submissions and I was like looking at the clock. I'm like, you got 45 seconds. You know, you're down by two points. Now's the time. How bad do you want it? You want to go? And it's like he started pushing and and kept trying to kick it into another gear. He didn't actually succeed in his goal, but like I was proud of him just because I know how exhausting it is when you're you've been giving it your best and then the clock is running low, but you just keep trying for a little bit more. So super proud of him to you know stand up at the end like exhausted about to fall over because he had given it his best and that's the kind of lessons that you can learn in a variety of applications but certainly i think jujitsu and wrestling are are good ways to foster that development it's a very physical description of a of a mental idea i guess is is a way to put it yeah it, it shows you physically what you should be doing mentally because the the discipline that you have to have for it, yeah. I, I love the idea of it. Yeah, it was. And one other thing that I thought was a cool story tied to Saturday that relates to parenting. So the boys, I, I was really proud of all three of them. Like we, we grapple a lot with just the three of us. They've trained at a couple of different places, but this was for all of us, our first competition. And so they're, they're geared towards like, you know, survive, escape, put on, you know, their own submissions, but they've never even paid attention or known what the point system is about and like how that scoring points. So they're, they're more just kind of like 
freestyle grapplers, I guess you could say. So anyway, they're getting behind on points. You know, they won some matches, lost others, and but none of them got submitted. I was proud of that. I was like, that's awesome. Good for you. But they, you know, when when you do lose to somebody, uh, whether it's your first match or you win a couple and then lose, they're they're devastated. And unfortunately, we picked seats. We we found seats right next to the podium stage which i wasn't thinking ahead you know dumb moment but we just see a constant stream all day of people walking by and the winner from each bracket gets a samurai sword which is pretty sweet wow. i mean the kids all the kids get samurai swords so they're like they're all all week going into it they're like i want to win i want that samurai sword so bad and so all these kids walking by with samurai swords they're like you know, on the verge of tears almost, just seeing like, oh, I, I wish I had one. And then my my seven year old goes up. And he's like, well, they sell the samurai swords. It's only forty dollars. And he's like, and I've got twenty one dollars. Can or can you just give me nineteen? I'll pay more than half. And I want the samurai sword. It's gonna be cool. And then you know, like an hour later, his brothers his brother loses, and and he's just devastated because again, he's really good, and he almost won the match, and. And so my seven-year-old's thinking like, man, we got to cheer him up. You know, we got to cheer up James. And so he's like, "We let's go get him a sword. We need to buy him a sword. And so I'm glad he wants to help out his brother. But we're like, I was like, all right, let's huddle up, guys, all three of them. Like, listen, swords are cool, but swords are for winners. You know, like if you, if we buy this sword, I hope that it is, makes you feel embarrassed that you bought it rather than earned it. And I was like, here's what I'll do. I thought about it for a second. I was like, I'll buy you the sword on the condition that you come back next year and do your absolute best. And if you win, you earn a sword and then you give away the one that we bought. But I hope all year long, this is like a reminder that I tried, I worked hard, but I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't win, didn't earn it. You know what I mean? It was like, I don't. I don't, I'm not a fan of participation trophies, just showing up and not, not quitting through something that's relatively easy, but like, I want to reward success. So anyway, we talked about it and they were like, you know what? Good idea. I don't want the samurai sword. I want to come back and earn my own next year. And I was like, hell yes. I was happy that they didn't feel like I was forcing them on it. They, they thought about it like, yeah, I want to earn it. I was like, good, good for you. They're, they're way, I, I was, I feel like I was a wuss when I was their age and they are they're they're becoming really strong which i'm proud of and grateful for sports and all the lessons that come with it yeah i'm seeing just black for you but but at least we can keep talking without having that interruption okay so you you were saying i don't know how how long you were going on about buying the sword for his brother for the older brother yeah and yeah not i just told him I was like, look, swords are for winners. You know, this is, we don't do participation trophies. We have, whenever they get a participation trophy from like a soccer team or, or whatever, it's like, we go home and throw them away because <laughs> you didn't earn anything, you know, just by showing up and participating in something easy doesn't get you something. So they did get medals. You know, two of the boys got medals for getting on the podium, but not first place. And I was like, samurai swords are for first place, dude. We're not buying it. So I was like, I'll buy it for you. If, if you come back next year, do your absolute best. And then if you, as long as you win next year, you give away 
the one that you bought. But I hope that every day when you see this samurai sword, you kind of hate it and you feel embarrassed to have it because you didn't earn it. And it, it's a symbol of earning something, you know? So I think that's anyway, amazing. Um, maybe as yeah. a dad. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I kind of debate. I'm like, maybe I'm too much of a hard ass on these kids. But at the same time, I'm like, I just think society in general is like trying to cater to everyone's feelings. And in the moment, I felt like tremendous pressure, like, oh, just get them a sword. Like, man, they're all beat up and like sad right now. And they're they're, they're down in the dumps. But I was like, man, they should be like they, they gave their all. They just tried so hard on this tournament. Like you, it's physically and emotionally exhausting. And like, I was like tearing up just watching them compete, which doesn't happen often. I've never shed a tear while they were doing jujitsu, you know, even if they get hurt or something, but like just the, so proud of them going out there and giving it everything. So it's, it's an emotional day. And like, you don't, it doesn't go your way. Like, of course you're going to feel tremendous emotion, but don't, don't optimize for helping their emotions in the moment. Like I'm trying to build a resilient child who grows up to be a strong man and a force for good. And I don't want to shortchange that future by catering to their needs in this moment. You know, I mean, that's really like parenting, right? You don't give the toddler everything they want because it's not good for them. I think that that's a great thing that you're doing. It sounds like for the non dads out there, that sounds really harsh. I'm sure, you know, that's, that's for winners, son. But but truly that that's so good because that's the difference between I think you and I are similar age to many kids and, and men just slightly younger than us is they receive participation trophies. And and I think our age, they were starting to give out participation trophies. But I think when at least when I was going playing different sports, which I didn't play a lot of sports growing up. But when I got those participation trophies, it's like, yeah, yeah, everybody gets this. You know, I think nowadays it's like, ooh, I got a participation trophy. Look how great this is. And I think that's good that yeah. we have dads saying, no, winners like, get that. You can be a winner too. What you did you do? You, you showed up it. on a Wednesday night for an hour for, for eight or 12 weeks and, and like had a Gatorade break every 10 minutes and barely broke a sweat some nights. Like, and you get a trophy. No, like, and I'm glad that my, my, my boys are, as soon as we explained the absurdity of participation trophies, like they think it's awesome. They love like dunking their participation trophy in the trash can when we get home. They, they're like, yeah, this is stupid. You know, like they're, they're becoming molded to be more achievement outcome oriented. Yeah. Cause there's, there's the old saying that second place is first place winners, which sounds harsh and it, and it, it is. But it also gives you something to look forward to, to be like, there's always gonna be someone better. And whoever wins is the one who puts the most work into it. And I think that's one of the most important things in life is teaching your kids. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how strong you are. It matters how hard you're willing to work. Yeah. For sure. I'm sure you had, I'm sure you had people you grew up with that were really smart, maybe smarter than you. But what are they doing in their life? Like there's plenty of kids I went to middle school, high school with that were much smarter than me. They were much more wealthy than I was, but they didn't work as hard as I did. And that was the defining moment. Sure. And, and on the flip side, like I can see people where 
part of me would think, man, that's not necessarily the brightest person I've ever come across, but they are running circles around me and everyone else because they just get after it. And that is like so admirable. And especially if let's say a child has some sort of learning disability, which thank God my children were were not, I guess, blessed with dyslexia like I was, if that's a blessing. But I mean, it is. It gives you a different outlook on life. Some people go hard one way or the other. You know, they, they give up and they they just kind of tank on the whole thing. But what it did for me was it made me work even harder. And I, and I think that was a blessing that, that God gave me was the dyslexia because it, it made me work 10 times harder than what it seemed like everyone else was doing because, you know, I'm going as fast as I can and still just barely keeping up with everybody. But that paid off as an adult. Totally. I, you could correct me on this, but I want to say sometime in the last year, I learned that people with dyslexia are statistically far more likely to either be in prison or become a fortune 500 CEO. Like it's like five times higher chances than anyone else to go into either of those. So like you said, strong inclination one way or the other. But I think that kind of reflects what I was saying. It's like you go hard one way or the other way you go hard, giving up and just giving up at life or you go hard at working harder to try and get where you want to be. And I feel like that's the balance right there really of like parenting when you, you want to help the kids become resilient and, and you develop resiliency by going through challenges and bouncing back and you want to, you know, create diamonds through pressure, but you don't want to put so much pressure that they crack, you know, before they're a fully fledged diamond. And so it's like that balance of, trying to help them get through something hard without having them feel like there's no chance for success and they just want to fall apart and, Oh, woe is me. And so it's like, sometimes we go too hard, sometimes not, not hard enough, but it's, it's something I'm grateful to have, you know, my wife as my companion and, and sort of team up and share ideas and, and think through like, Hey, well, eh, that time maybe we overdid it. Uh, that time we, we, you know, it wasn't, we we didn't really get the right outcome we were looking for wasn't a positive experience in any way or what you know uh that time we yeah. nailed it but you know it's just a balance of constantly trying but like goal is i want them to be resilient i want them to be able to get through hard things and develop a sense of pride and accomplishment because the what am i proud of in my life it's like the hard things i did you know it's not the things that were given to me i'm proud of the the hard things i got through i'd like to explore a little bit cuz you have you said you had six children, which is just mind-blowing to me. I think that's amazing, and I don't know if I could handle that because my personal experience is when our daughter came out, like the moment she, they the doctor handed me to her or handed her to me, I guess they're not going to hand me to my daughter. Here, hold, hold up your father. No, like in my mind, because I wanted six kids, but the moment they handed her to me, instantly I went, wow, I don't have time. I don't know what happened to my time, but now I know it's divided twice as much as it was before. And, and I don't want to get so much into the balance of life, but I want to get into dividing or figuring out each child. Cause some children, they need more pressure. Some children, you know, you, like you said, you'll crack them if you put too much pressure and having six that I'm sure every single one of them needs a different amount of, of pressure just to get that right spot. How, how, how have you balanced that? How have you figured that out? You know, that's a, uh ongoing responsibility and an opportunity for Susan and I to just constantly be 
trying to figure that out, you know, they're, they are, like you say, they're all, they're very, they're each individuals and have their own needs. Like there's definitely a, a family culture that we have that they all kind of have their own place in, but individual, some are alike in some ways, but like for sure, they're all their own little person and their own, they have their own little sort of incentive reward systems in their mind and the way that they just go about life and ask questions and want to talk or share this or that. So I, I think Susan and I are one of, one of the things we we've done well is that we're always trying, trying new things, trying to get better. Sometimes trying means we did just enough to keep everyone alive today, depending on the day. But (laughs) You know, it's, we certainly, I I don't want to pretend like we are uh, any role models out there by any means. We're, we're, we're trying to figure it out and just, you know, take care of them and and pour into them as much as we can. But I don't think I have any sage advice necessarily on that topic. Well, I think just, you know, you, how you mentioned that you and your wife work together on this, because there's times where I can, let me rephrase that. There's many times I don't see how I'm acting. And I'm sure you've, you've had this where you're like, you're too rough or you're too, not physically, but just you're too tough on them. You're too easy on them. And you can't see it from the outside because you're, you're doing it. And that's where it's really good to have, you know, a spouse, have your, have your wife come along and say, Hey, that was, that was a bit much. hundred percent. They have you wrapped around their, their little finger. You need to, you need to toughen up on them just a little bit. Cause you know, I've certainly had. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's one thing I agree with you 100% because we don't you know, we all we have our own view, our own lens of looking at the world and it's really helpful when one spouse can turn to the other and and say here's what I've observed and and you know, from this angle, what do you think? And you're like, "You know what? I was I didn't I didn't actually see that." And so that happens in both directions with us regularly. And you know, w- w- one of the things recently is like our we're a lot more lenient now on our like toddlers. You know, the two younger girls are four and two. We're, we're so much more lenient with them than we were with the older kids because after a while we finally learned like, look, they're just, they're just so little, you know, like you can't expect them to be able to do certain things. But then sometimes we go a little too far where I'm like, look, this little two-year-old thinks she owns the house and we can't cater yeah. to her to the point where we, we give her everything she wants. You know, we let's start drawing a line, you know, all right, you're, you're not, you are literally ruining the entire moment for everyone. And you're going to go sit in your crib for a little bit until you're ready to rejoin society. And, you know, sure enough, like 45 seconds later, she's like, I'm all better. I'm ready. And like all sweet. And it's like, okay, cool. Well, you know, as a reminder to me that we've kind of got away from the basics, like, you know, letting her go a little too far and, you know, ruining every kind of family moment there is. And one thing that, and and you and I can talk about this at different time, you know, offline or something, but we noticed a huge difference when we changed our diet. There was a lot less tantrums. There was a lot less meltdowns. There was significantly less, like there was a marked change. And, you know, I want to encourage moms and dads out there listening to this to go listen to my any episode that has chewing the fat in it, it talks about diet and, you know, it may be mostly directed towards fertility or mostly directed towards this or that, but the principles of it still are important and the outcome is still, you know, you still get strong kids from strong food. That's how I sell it to my kids is if you eat strong food, you get strong, you eat weak food, you get weak. Okay. Well, I don't want to eat weak food. I want to be strong, you know? 
yeah we're we're right now incorporating more meat into the kids diets than we have previously i think they've always got had like an enough from traditional standards but incorporating more and and susan and i have been eating i'd say primarily meat based for the last couple months and definitely feel feel better and in in several ways so we're working on that and i would give credit to you you know one one more of many nuggets picked up from your podcast yeah, and if anybody's looking for more information on that, I encourage you to go look at Dr. Ken Barry, board-certified family physician. He's on YouTube. I learned a lot from him. And, you know, of course, he wasn't my only source, but I learned from him and then did my own research. And and when you think about it, like, what did people eat 10,000 years ago? We should probably be eating that because that's what kept our ancestors alive to bring us here today. And nowadays, there's diabetes, obesity, hypertension, all these problems. Let's go back to what we used to eat. So I'm glad you're seeing improvement. I'm glad you're you're trying those changes. You know, it's not a huge jump all in for kids. It's it's a slowly slow change over time. Yeah. Growing up, what kind of sports or activities did you do and how did your dad's interactions with you influence you today? I grew up did a little bit of I don't know what where this martial art was from, but it was called Tong Sudo. I think that was the only you know school within five miles of our house that was like martial arts. So it was like karate, I think. I don't even know. Maybe it was a branch of karate, but that was cool. You know, after doing jujitsu, it's funny. I look at that and it's silly because it's like these like forms and like you know technique if 30 people try to attack you then you take three steps left punch 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 <laughs> you know turn it's like it seems absurd now but at the time i thought i was a little ninja you know wearing a gi and a belt and whatever did that for i don't know a year or two and then played a lot of baseball i was actually like pretty good at baseball for a few years and i wound up getting hit by a pitch like three pitches in a row and pretty much never recovered from that with my confidence at the plate. So my baseball career came to an end in, in early or uh, late elementary school. What, what do you say? Where did you get hit? Head, chest, arm, leg? I think I took one to the helmet and then I don't recall the other two. I'm, I would, I'm guessing leg or side or I don't know, but uh, yeah, i I don't even know how I could possibly get hit three times in a row. That's pretty embarrassing. I bet if we, um, I bet if we talked to that anyway. guy who threw those pitches, he'd probably say, "Man, I I never played again after that." I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that'd be funny. But my dad, he coached my little league baseball team one year. But my my dad actually had to. He did not ever have like consistent, stable or high paying employment. He was typically working multiple jobs and the only way to even like I wouldn't even say get ahead but don't just like pay off some of the overdue bills was like take on extra you know jobs and just trading hours for a little bit of dollars so he, he was honestly gone like a lot and I had the opportunity to work with him a few times like doing little construction jobs like on the weekends I remember when I was like 12 He's like, hey, come with me on the job site. You know, we're doing vinyl siding somewhere or, or whatever. And it's like, you know, back then he would be like $20 a day. Just kind of, you know, I'll give you random little things to do and clean up the job site and go hand, hand me stuff, you know, be a gopher. 
And I remember it being like miserable, you know, in, in the summer heat working on the job site, not eating and drinking, you know, my favorite foods, not in the air conditioning. I was like, this sucks. Like I am getting straight A's because I don't want any part of manual labor, you know, like I, I, yeah. been there and done that. And I was like, I know my dad has worked his tail off and routinely does even, you know, in his thirties and forties and, and fifties, like I want no part of that. I want to be, you know, I was always a pretty decent test taker and knew like, Hey, I've got a career and like go to college and do something, you know, use your, use your mind and, and get ahead. And so I feel, I feel like my dad set an example of like always like, I feel like his thirties and forties probably sucked. Like realistically, I'm in my you know mid thirties now and it's like, I'm trying to enjoy and optimize my life and take care of my family and do hobbies. Like my dad's life, he literally would get done with one job, change clothes and go to another job. And like, I didn't see him much. He was always gone. And so like, that's admirable. And I, and I wish he had like taken advice from others or networked or tried to get a better job. Cause I think he certainly could have, he had the abilities, but that just wasn't his like style or interest, but he, he, you know, he made sure we had food and we, you know, he took care of the fam his family by working his tail off, which I think is a lesson to me. Like I, I knew from an early age, I was like, Hey, we're poor. We're, you know, we're on welfare and other assistance and stuff. I don't want to live like this, you know? So I feel like he, he, he taught us through an example of how to work. And I knew early on, like your, your work matters. And it's one thing that's really tough about being a dad is to be around and to be in a direct influence it means you're not at work being an indirect influence. Yeah, Cause my, my dad, he worked hard too. And he, you know, there was many weekends he was off doing side, side jobs and stuff. And, you know, I want one more time with him, but he also taught me a great work ethic. So it's that balance of, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 It's hard to put in um, words. I know what you mean. Like, like the, the time that you do get with them, you're sometimes is, is working. Like if you, the best way to spend time with dad for me when I was a kid was like, go work with him, you know, cause he was just working or same thing with my uncles, you know, like they're just, they're just animals, man. I feel like I'm, I'm so weak compared to them in that generation. Like they live to work and, and you know, Saturday is a work day. Just sometimes it's for your same, same projects you're doing during the week. Other times it's, it's a different project, but you're, they're working nonstop. But to kind of balance that too, I think our generation has been like, look, I want to build my life in a way that I can have my time to do what I want. You know, for some dads, that's time with their kids. For some dads, that's doing whatever they want to do. But I've, I've certainly built my life to where my family is one of the most important things. And, you know, like doing stuff after work, if it's not with my family, I don't really want to be there doing it, you know? Yeah. That, and what a blessing that we live in such a prosperous society that many, many millions of, of families can work reasonable work hours and have time to pursue interests and hobbies with your family. You know, that's, that's something that people haven't always had. And so, yeah, it's like that balance of, I, I saw my dad and my uncles working like dogs and, you know, I don't, I'm fortunate that I, I work for a fantastic company. I work a normal work week and I'm done. I'm not even like 
usually I'm not stressed about work in the evenings on any kind of regular basis. I'm I'm unplugged and straight up with the family or, you know, doing jujitsu or whatever. But it's like a balance where my kids see me have it so easy, you know, like I, I go in my little office, I'm, I'm on phone calls and emailing and, you know, talking to customers and they, you know, they, they don't see me working. Like I saw my, my dad and my uncle's working. So it's like, I have to consciously think, how can I teach my kids hard work when we've got it? So, so cushy on, you know, standing on the shoulders of previous generations that have created this prosperity and, and wealth and, and all the benefits and privileges we have living, living on the earth right now. Now, I heard you mention, you know, say, say certain keywords that kind of clued me into this and, and you and I have not talked about this before. So I don't know where this is going to go. It's interesting. Is there any sort of religion or spiritual aspect to your life that's important to you that you're trying to make important to your kids? Yeah, totally. We are, acting, practicing, active members of Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So we are Christian and yeah, it's like a big part of, of our lives. And we encourage the kids to come to church with us and participate in, you know, spiritual conversations. My wife's really good actually on like, just even on the drive to school, you know, she tries to like find a a story from the Bible or the Book of Mormon and like teach a principle on the way to, you know, dropping the kids off or each night we try to have a conversation and just talk about principles or scriptures and lessons learned and, you know, a lot of good videos on YouTube or old talks and, you know, articles to read. So definitely, you know, faith in Christ is a big part of our life. I think that's great. And just something that we had done, we haven't done so much lately, but on YouTube, there's this this channel called Bible Project. And we would watch those in the evenings with the kids. And they have a way of showing things. And, and there's this one video in particular where they have these two different trees, the tree of good and evil and, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there's a good tree. And it's, you know, you can clearly see it's a good tree by the light and when people eat it, they, they become a tree. It's another light-giving tree. And then there's this bad tree that has dark light in it. And if they eat from that, they become a dark tree. And it's it's a really good way f- that we've been able to, to help teach our kids to understand these ideas that it, they're hard to explain. And, and like, let's say one, one, of my chi- one of my children is doing something that's not so good. And I, I can ask them, which tree are you picking from right now? It's that idea of Adam and Eve. You know, they yeah, they chose the yeah. wrong tree, but... We do that every day. That That's a constant decision you and I make every single day is what tree am I going to pick from? The one that makes things better or the one that makes things worse. And that kind of puts it in real terms where they, they don't know what that means and I don't know what that means. What tree am I picking from? But it's a way they can physically see something and see how, well, I want to pick from this other tree that makes me a tree of light rather than makes me a tree of darkness. That's a good a good example. And we're we're so fortunate that there are content creators who know how to break things down for children and that's you know there's certain channels where that's all they do is cater towards towards kids and bible stories and it's like this is amazing you know the uh, the cost of watching a couple commercials for a few seconds you get a cool 5 or 10 minute video that is 
perfect for the kids. Like they actually like enjoy it. They look forward to when the new videos come out a couple times a week. It's like, this is, this is cool. There's a lot of things in society right now where you think like, it feels like everything's falling apart. But then at the, at the other time, it's like other side of the coin. You have to think like, we have it so good. And any, any wish list from someone who lived in the late 1800s who was like, you know, what would you want in your life? Like even person on welfare in the United States and you know, living in poverty had, would have essentially everything on the wish list of someone from a hundred or 150 years ago, you know? We are so truly blessed right now. And even, you know, the poorest among the Americans are still in the top, I think it's 1% of the world. <laughs> That's nuts. It's it's just amazing. And and how we have to push those blessings out. You know, we don't just keep them and, and hoard those blessings. But it, that's one thing we're working on teaching our kids too is how can you bless others because we've been blessed so much? How can we be God's hands and feet to go do his work? Totally. Yeah. That's, we need to do that. I mean, can't just, it's going to be a little bit embarrassing if we talk to God after, after we die and he's like, so gave you all these tremendous resources and you lived a very comfortable life with silk slippers. And, you know, tell me about how you multiplied the blessings on other people, you know, and if we don't have much to share, that's going to be an embarrassing conversation. So always trying to figure out how can, how can we help? Well, I think we're getting close to probably time right now. I mean, I really want to thank you for coming on. Is is there a last few story or a thing you want to leave us with about that you that you've learned from doing this this podcast with dads to help dads? You know, kind of like those content creators you were talking about earlier with children, but now you're doing it for for dads. And I think again, I think that is a wonderful little niche. Yeah, I think that I learned just keep trying, you know, there's so many different ways to be dads, to be a dad. And I've talked, you know, it's been awesome to go talk to people, dads from all different types of backgrounds. And, you know, I haven't heard anyone share that they're like really disgruntled about the way their dad raised them. (laughs) So it's like a little reassuring for me to hear. Like, I think people generally, they look back on their dad and give them the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, I came away with the impression we should really just try our best. Don't beat ourselves up about being imperfect, you know, show love and, and support and, you know, make sure you have a positive relationship with your kids and, and do your best. That's really my, my takeaway. And I, I do want to say, I, before I go, first of all, thank you for having me on. And I'm honored to be in the presence of um, amazing people who you've had on your podcast. But I know a lot of, I would guess a lot of your listeners are probably in the military. And so I just wanted to say, like, uh, get the word out. I think um, I read, encourage anyone who's looking to transition back into civilian life to consider going into tech, working at a, a tech company, great career opportunities. Again, you can go into operations, finance, marketing, sales, you know, HR, supply chain, like whatever you whatever you want to go into. The background you have in the military is helpful. It's applicable. There's skill bridge programs. There's recruiters. Like almost every major tech company has giant teams that focus on recruiting 
directly from the military. So I think it's one of those things. It's so good. It's such a good opportunity, but a lot of people don't even know that it exists. And so consider that there's the, the earnings and work life balance is Un unparalleled from anything else I've seen, you know, the opportunity to make tremendous income, take care of your family, have time for your family, you know, working a, a 40 hour work week and enjoying, enjoying life. So anyway, just wanted to put that out there. I'm, you know, if anyone's interested in Cisco, I can connect you with different folks and recruiters there, but there's certainly, you know, I'd just say, look into tech is a great opportunity. Yeah, and if you have any contact information, I can put it in the description below, like an email or something, if you have an email you want to put out. Yeah. yeah and thank you. Love to. Thank you for that, because many of these listeners may be getting out of the military sooner than they anticipated and and looking for a job that <laughs> yeah, can that pay is well ridiculous. the life balance they want. is that it's, Thank you for that hope. Yeah, there are exemptions you can get in the private sector that you can't get sometimes, so it seems like, in, in the military right now. So, yeah. Well, thank you, Sean. I truly appreciate your time. It's been a wonderful conversation. I hope to talk to you more in the future. Thanks so much, Sam. Great to talk to you. I want to give a special shout-out to Shell Pace. Thank you for your monthly support. Just a reminder for everyone out there, duty uniform of the day... The full armor of God. Let's all make courage more contagious than fear.